Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to discuss a little bit about disclosures, but really in my mind, it's this idea of talking with each other as opposed to talking past each other. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to unpack that well here in a moment. But before we jump into that content, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and it has resources that go way beyond what you're learning here on the PeaceWorks podcast. Uh, a lot of different resources that you can take advantage of if you're attempting to address the problem of domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. Uh, so if you're benefiting from the things you're learning and hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, PeaceWorks University is your best next step. And you can find out more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, friends. So uh, the the topic at hand, the, the thoughts rolling around in my head, this idea of talking with each other rather than past each other is really about a common occurrence uh, that has been happening that I know has been frustrating some of my peers. I know that it is frustrating to myself. And so I thought I would try to spend about 20 minutes maybe adding some clarity. I, I feel like every time I try to add some clarity, I muddy the waters a bit. So hopefully, hopefully this will not uh, create more frustration, but just a little bit more uh, clearly establish um, maybe some of the differences, uh, some of the um, the best practices in receiving a disclosure. And the reason why I bring that up is I'm I'm often having conversations with pastors and biblical counselors. Um, now, many of those conversations, I should say, if I were to back up, uh, many conversations I'm having with say biblical counselors. Uh, regarding disclosures of abuse are healthy. Um, wanting to know how to drill down a little bit more and gather better data, uh, knowing what next steps should be, trying to get you know just some more eyes on the situation so that, um, so that they can respond well. And there's definitely a, a caring well aspect to the conversations I'm having. On the other hand, the frustrating conversations, and those are the ones where I'm leaving frustrated and um, the questioner, the the counselor, the pastor, they're leaving frustrated as well, usually revolve around confirming disclosures or understanding disclosures. Uh, and it, it generally begins with something along the lines of, well, we've received a disclosure from an individual. They're claiming that they're being abused. But we don't see it we've really tried to understand and we don't see abuse in this situation. And that can be a fair assessment. And I want to talk about that here in a second. Uh, but typically as I press into these conversations, we will get frustrated because um, perhaps a, there hasn't been a, uh, from my perspective, there hasn't been a lot of deep diving. There hasn't been a lot of, prolonged, you know, conversations, there's been kind of a um, quick response. And I think some of that is genuine and well-meaning. For instance, you hear, you know, 
terminology out there like believe believe what you're hearing, respond to what you're hearing. And I think there are some counselors in our tribe and some pastors in our tribe who are hearing the word abuse and they are, I don't know if they're ceasing counseling at that moment or ceasing conversation at that moment, but they're seemingly steering it into response mode. It's like I've stopped learning. Like I've stopped learning about what you just told me and now I'm responding to what you just told me. And to me, that seems like a simple fix. Like the the response from that crowd, if that is you and you're frustrated with the work because you hear the word abuse, you're responding as quickly and as effectively as you think is possible, but you're not getting the results that you want or that seem helpful to anybody, my question would be perhaps, you know, what would it look like if you slowed down and in, rather than responding, you continued learning? Like, is there more to be um, heard here? Is there more to be gleaned here? And I do think there is a, a portion of that conversation where, you know, both of us are leaving frustrated. Um, part of that is because many of my questions to the counselor is, you know, did you try this? And what would it, what did it look like when you say that said this? Well, I didn't do any of that. Like, well, perhaps you should have, you know, been a learner. I mean, that that's not meant to be said disparagingly. It's, it's meant to be said in a helpful way. When we receive an initial disclosure of abuse, if everyone is safe in the moment and you're in an environment that's safe and no one is in immediate danger outside of your office, then perhaps the best thing that you can do is to ask some follow-up questions such as, you know, help me understand, right? I, or, I mean, I can tell how upsetting this is to you. Like this, this is significant. Can you describe for me the, the most recent time that you were harmed? And, and, or um, in what ways are you being harmed? And, and listening to the, to the individual you're working with to gather more data, to understand the, the situation a little better rather than just responding immediately. I think the other thing that we run into, at least when it comes to the idea of, you know, I'm leaving frustrated, you're leaving frustrated, is, you know, I've received a disclosure, but I can't get any ground. I am asking questions, and I'm not getting good information. And that may be, not always, but that may be uh, one of the realities of working with this population and within this work is you're not always going to receive clear answers. You're not always going to receive um, information on a line. So linear thought and description. So for many of us, especially those of us who, uh, and this is an overgeneralization, but hopefully it is helpful. Those of us who are male biblical counselors, those of us who are men who are, who are pastors, we're already functioning somewhat differently than, than maybe our wives or other women that we work with because um, one of the great frustrations that we talk about is, you know, logical thinking and emotional thinking, which is kind of a, a, a disingenuous because men are just as emotional. But we may be looking for disclosures on a line, like a linear thought, 
And it's really about the experience of the individual in front of us. So it could be ups and downs, and we could be reaching back for information or moving ahead for information. So we need to be diligent to kind of set with the discomfort of how we're hearing information as much as the discomfort of what information that we're hearing. So it is going to take a little bit of patience then to come back to those questions when we don't get the answer that gives us clarity. Uh, Earlier I had said, in what ways were you harmed? That might be one of the questions in, in response to I'm being abused or my husband is abusive. In what ways are you being harmed? The response may be something like, I can't live like this. It may be um, a response of their personal state of emotion. And that's okay. Listen to that response. Listen to the, the heart in that response. Like note the nonverbal non-direct things that are being communicated there, such as difficulty speaking, um, disjointed or incoherent uh, parts of speech that could indicate trauma. Um, Note if they bring notes, like pages of notes or information, overload, um, set with the emotion of it, like the emotions are telling you some things um, of how problematic this particular uh, situation is. So I can't live like this. Well, I might follow up with learning from all of this um, download that's happening. I may not have specific information yet. So I might ask, again, that follow-up question I said a moment ago, I can tell this is really upsetting. Like this, this is a very difficult situation for you. Can you describe the most recent time that you were harmed. And now what I'm doing is I'm getting a specific incident. Understand that in abuse work, I want to see a pattern. I'm looking for history, but that one foothold will kind of help me see the experience of the individual I'm working with. And I know, again, some of my friends will go, oh, it's not about experience. Well, sure, at this point it is. I'm not getting details, so I want to know how the behavior is impacting them. And that's going to help me get details as to what behaviors are impacting them, which is also important. So I might hear um, disclosures about a story or an incident, and then I'm going to follow up in that um, with responses such as, so when you say he screamed at the children, what words were being said? And if I can hear some of those words, it's going to help me formulate some more questions, you know, if, um, oh, he called, you know, he called our son a a piece of garbage. Well, that tells me a lot about the, the demeanor and the, you know, the, the tone of the evening. I can empathize with that. What a horrible thing to say. That must've been terribly troubling in the moment that, um, must've been very difficult to hear. Has he used language like that in the past? calling you or the children garbage or perhaps some other kind of object. So see what I've done there is I'm kind of drilling into objectification. I'm trying to drill into a concept of ridicule to see if that has happened in the past. And what I'm doing is just building, building on those layers. Uh, perhaps the, the disclosure was different. Perhaps the story was, a, was different. And that's why you have to be ready to respond on the fly. Um, so the story is different, and I might then say, when, when you say he took you to the bedroom, 
to discuss this. What do you mean? What's it look like to take someone to the bedroom? You see, because when, when someone says to me, well, then he took me to the bedroom, my mind is going, did he invite you? Did he ask you? Did you agree to go? Did he carry you? Did he force you? Did he threaten you? Like all of those things are possible with that one simple little sentence. So I just want to understand more about it. Um, or you said, you know, I just, Pastor Chris, I just couldn't speak in that moment. Well, what does, what does that mean? Like, help me understand that moment when you couldn't speak. What was preventing you from speaking? And, and again, the reason why I say it that way is, was it you emotionally didn't, didn't have the capacity? Was it mentally you didn't have the words? Were you in shock? That's what I'm looking for. Was he preventing you from speaking? Those are all possible as we're getting disclosures like this. So I'm just encouraging my friends who are frustrated to position yourself as a learner. Gather the information that's going to be helpful. Sit in the discomfort of those moments and and learn as much as possible from the nonverbals, the verbal, the disclosures, really revert to the best part of our training as biblical counselors. Build involvement through connecting with their story. Gather data through listening carefully and watching and observing what's happening. And then run that information through what you know of Jesus, what you know of sin and suffering, and dare I say, what you know of abuse. And now this is the third point of frustration, right? So the first point of frustration is perhaps um, ignorance, and ignorance can be met with education. The second point of frustration is um, um, maybe a sort of an impulsivity or uh, quickness to respond, and that can be met with slowing your process down, right? Instead of being a responder, be a, a learner so that your responses can be informed and educated based on what you're hearing and learning. And I think the, the last point of frustration is more philosophical. It's what we believe about abuse or what we believe about discerning abuse. Because then what will happen in some conversations is, well, then I get that, but how do you take this information? Sure, he, he used really inflammatory language, and yes, he used physical intimidation, and yes, he used ridicule, and yes, he used threats, but how do you put that into a category of abuse, Chris? Because no one was harmed. And now what we're talking about is a frustration of, of how we discern and how we disseminate the information that we're hearing. And um, this is where I think we tend to have a frustration based on how we decipher that. Like, for instance, I might say those four or five things that you just mentioned, the four or five things that I just made up and threw out in the air, those things coincide with, you know, four or five of the eight categories found in the um, power and control wheel. And I'll sometimes then get, well, we can't use that because that's, you know, critical theory. Okay, well, well, let's throw the model out for just a second and let's at least acknowledge that 
ridicule, coercion and threats, uh, intimidation. I can't remember the other one that I used. Um, ridicule. Those are sinful. Now, let's add to that that they're sinful in such a way that they're causing a great deal of stress and fear in the life of the victim. Can you agree with that? Sure. The sinful behavior that's creating this climate is also being used to determine an outcome, to control this person. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we can see that. Well, that's historically, typically what we call subjugation or what we might culturally call abuse. An individual who's abusing their position in order to coercively control someone else. And that might help. I think one of our big hangups, this last point of frustration is, I can't use any observations that the world has used because then I'm using a worldly rubric rather than a scriptural one. And I would say perhaps the, the rubric that's available to you, the things that the world has observed are the very same things that God has condemned, that God has called us uh, to observe. That certainly ridicule is sinful, as is intimidation, coercion and threats, uh, isolation, minimizing, denying your sin or blaming other people for it, using children rather than loving your children, subjugating your partner rather than empowering your partner, using finances to harm another individual. I mean, we can take the time, I guess, to try to build out a systematic theology as to why all of those eight things are sinful. Then if you need to do that, then go ahead and do that, right? If that's going to help you come to those conclusions, but don't deny the harm that is happening because the world has also observed these same same things as being harmful. They're all beyond the scope uh, of what God has designed for relationships. And specifically in the Christian home, they're all beyond the specific imperatives that God has given to individuals in regards to husbands loving their wives. So, again, if we're still butting heads, if we're still trying to figure this thing out, uh, another thing, another point of frustration is I'll get, well, I don't know how to categorize this if it if it's kind of low level. If I can't find those points, Chris. So you've you've articulated well, this is sinful. There's definitely someone who is suffering. The sin is an abuse of power that's using to course of control. I can see that now. Or I hear what you're saying, Chris, but there doesn't seem to be threat. There doesn't seem to be fear. There doesn't uh, appear to be uh, an abuse of power. It just seems like a high level conflict and um, or a lot of frustration in the marriage. Well, that's a that is a different story if that's true. And so I might offer then, you know, some some terminology that my friend Leslie came up with that I think is tremendously helpful to quickly understand whether we're responding to a disappointing marriage, a discouraging marriage, or destructive marriage. I find that very helpful in the moment to draw people into those terms and they can relate to them immediately. And again, I'll either get receptivity. That makes sense. A disappointing marriage, we're not getting what we want. So we really need to understand, again, James 4, what it is that we want uh, versus what it is that we have versus what it is to to do what is right. Or a discouraging uh, marriage, there are circumstances that um, 
have really got me down. It wasn't what I expected, right? Because the circumstances um, have kind of knocked us for a loop in Romans 8, 28 and 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's all kinds of scriptural principles that we as a team can work together to, to find encouragement in a discouraging marriage. A destructive marriage, however, falls into that category of one partner using power to harm another partner. And now we're in the realm of things like Galatians 6, which is confronting sin and calling people to repentance. Uh, Perhaps Matthew 18, if there's um, a conflict on how one person is sinning against another person, perhaps a more graphic response from the church, such as um, uh, the idea of somebody committing an act of of sexual assault or rapacious behavior that requires a response or criminal behavior that requires a Romans 13 type of response. And so that is what we deal with primarily. But there are categories that could help us put it into perspective. And again, I throw those out there to be helpful, but sometimes there'll be the frustration. Well, I can't use Leslie Vernick's material. She's a clinician. My encouragement is to calm down a little. We're trying to help people. And... Yes, sometimes we have to stand our ground, but if every case has to filter through a purity test in order for us to feel as if we have done things correctly, we may not do things well. So there, there is a, a, a point in time where we can use information from other people. We can repeat things that we've heard in the past. We can bring as much clarity as we can to the situation, and we can certainly learn. I think all of this falls right back into the, the way in which we were trained initially by the old-timers who reminded us that we should handle problems biblically, but we've got to exegete the problem before we can even bring biblical instruction to bear. We have to provide hope, and the greatest hope is the gospel. But before I can um, thoroughly apply the gospel, I need to gather data and understand what it is I'm addressing. So my prayer is, my hope is that we can continue to dialogue. I I don't want to continue to talk past each other. I want us to find best practices and best solutions so that people can be helped, yes, through the power of the gospel, the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the sufficiency of the scriptures, but in a relationship in which um, individuals are taught the Bible and counseled the Bible. Not that the scriptures themselves are counseled. That that is not the objective that yes, I counseled the scriptures. No, I counseled people with the scriptures and those people were served well because of wisdom and grace and patience and love. Um, We listened. We listened. We educated ourselves so that we could respond better. We slowed down so that we could respond well. And we opened up so that we could respond better uh, to individuals who are suffering. Well, I hope, friends, that that is uh, helpful. I hope that you benefited from that, and we'll continue this conversation. I appreciate everybody who listens to the PeaceWorks podcast. Uh, Please rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever the platform you're listening on asks you to do. Let them know uh, that you value the PeaceWorks podcast. Uh, Once again, thank you guys for being part of the family. Until next time. God bless.